Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in with us once again. And uh, we are really starting to see uh, the life around us just continue to go back to normal. Yes. I saw that we are starting <laughs> to have our first uh, social distance uh, theater shows. Ooh. Uh, I was seeing this online where, like, every other row is blocked off and people <laughs> have to, like sit several seats apart yeah. from each other. It was actually pretty pathetic looking at the at the pictures because, yeah. like, not like many people theaters. came. Movie theaters movie are back theater. open. Because uh, we've been talking about on the last several episodes how, um, you know, restaurants have been opening, and that's kind of, mm-hmm. like, the next thing. Obviously, we're way, way far away from any arena shows. Yeah. Which, finally, Motley Crue pushed their tour back. Oh, man. We had a big debate about that on Instagram. Yes, we did. Oh, my Um, goodness. So, you know, it was, uh, it got pretty heated, but, you know, now here we are. If you want to join the debate, it's kind of late now, but if you wanted to, you could follow our Instagram page. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good segue. (laughs) Look at that plug. Yeah. (laughs) Follow us on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. Pretty much whenever I remember to repost to Facebook, they're identical. So, <laughs> okay. um, we do giveaways every Sunday. We actually had our first giveaway winner this uh, last week. So, congratulations Ooh. to um, Mr. Joshua Sievertson for uh, wow. for winning a on our Pink Floyd week. So, uh-huh. make sure you guys are tuning in on Sundays, and uh, we're going to be posting a hint on what the future episode is going to be about. And if you are the first one to get it on either of our social media platforms, we're going to send you a gift because we love you guys. And we also, uh, just want to continue to bring more people into the fold. And I find that competition tends to be a good motivator (laughs) for me. It is. See my, my whole theory now is that when people see that, Oh, you can actually win a prize. Someone Mm. won. Now it's like game on game. Yeah. So there, can there only be one winner? There can be only one. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, turn on post notifications then. Yep. <laughs> we usually try and do it in the morning Sunday to give people all day mm-hmm. to potentially guess. So make sure you guys join in on that. We want to give away a lot more prizes in the in the coming uh, months and years. Yes. So, um, yeah. And also, just the easiest way that you can get involved with us is to just hit the subscribe button. Uh, let you know whenever new episodes are available. We have new episodes every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central. And uh, make sure that you leave us a rating, leave us a review. Let us know what artists you want to see us tackle. I only ever think to uh, to look at this whenever I'm recording <laughs> on to see if anyone's been telling us to uh, do any new uh, artists. There was one really obscure one a while back. Oh, we've got someone... Uh, Matler CT75 wants us to do Kiss next. Oh, hey, that's not a bad suggestion. Yeah, which, I mean, I will say that has been on my brain. I've actually already put together a demo song list just kind of for kicks. Mm. So I always have, like, about five or ten song lists that are in various stages of development whenever I'm considering what artists to do. So Kiss is on that short list, so... That, whether or not we'll actually do them soon or not, I don't know. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get, but it yeah. is it is on our brains. I I am a very big Kiss fan, and so uh, we it is definitely something we will get to at some point. 
Oh, well. And I believe that he is right. It will get us a lot of listeners. <laughs> and speaking of, um, we have, uh, we recently released our first volume two. Yes. Of an artist. Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. So if you're a Pink Floyd fan, go check out both of our episodes on them. And it's uh, doing super well. It is do it is shattering all of our week one uh records. I'm estimating that it's gonna be past two hundred on the first week, which has never been Woo! done before. Look at that. Listen to that episode. Yeah. Even though it's kinda long. <laughs> it's worth it. Hey, you it's know, I've it. I found that the people that are into Pink Floyd, that's what they like. <laughs> they like long investments. Well, because that's what they get. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, our last three episodes have been trending upwards, which is a really good sign to see. Each yes. one's been doing better than the last one. Elvis was a big hit. Uh, Death was a surprisingly big hit. Yeah, I was kind of wondering why that one was. Which is hit. really solidifying my opinion that we've got a fervent metal... Metalhead metal community behind yes, us. Yeah. which makes me happy. It makes me much more confident to do... Not just more metal bands, but more extreme metal bands. You know, not just stick with the stuff like Metallica and Judas Priest and kind of the stuff that maybe your average person could get into. They're good. Yeah. But there's more. Yes. And so <laughs> the fact that Between the Buried and Me and Death have both done very well um, makes me very confident to just say, I'm just going to pick whatever metal band I want <laughs> and not worry if people are going to tune in or not. So that was a pretty cool uh, thing to see. Yes. Um, this episode, we get to uh, make a pretty fun announcement. Yes. A little a little side project that we started that's going to start to become a weekly thing with us. Um, we recorded a cover song. Yes, we did. Just the two of us. Well, I mean, not all at once. We had to do some overdubbing. Yes. Can't, can't drum and bass and sing at the same time. No. So, in referencing that, I, uh, on this cover song, I laid down the drums, the bass, and the vocals, mm -hmm. and Mr. Grant over here did all of the guitar. I did. Which, it sounds like that's not very even workload, but trust me, it's, it is. It's definitely... And he's oh, also doing all of the editing and the uh, Yeah, and the, the mixing. editing and the mixing for the video, too. Yep. That's gonna be released, or... According to you guys, it has been released. Yeah, and it's we're going to release at the same time the episode so, comes out. We'll try to time that. Um, so that's something for you guys to enjoy. I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. There's more on the way. Yes, we're going to do one uh, of these every week. We've already got several recorded now at this point. Yes, that's true. Because we, I still have to we work ahead. learn how to play the song uh -huh. <laughs> for some of them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, go check out our brand new YouTube channel. That's yep. going to be the place to see those videos, as well as we're going to start, uh, if we haven't already, putting episodes on there as well. Yes. For those people that like to use the to the the podcast form of YouTube, where you just put a video on, you don't look at the screen, you just listen to what's going on. Yeah. I do that quite a bit. Hmm. Um, so we're going to start putting our episodes on there as well, and that's also going to be the place where you can see our cover songs. So yes. let us know what you guys think of those, if you like that. Um even if you don't, we're still going to do it anyway because it's fun for us. <laughs> and I find that it just makes us better musicians. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so go check out that. We're going to put a little demo on Instagram if you just kind of want to see like a little short preview. Mm -hmm. And you'll find a link to the YouTube channel there. So go check that out. And um, I think with there, there is a, a news topic that yes. I wanted to talk you about. Yes, you mentioned that before we... 
hit record. Yeah. Yes. What is so, it? What is um, it? this, I've been seeing variants of this where we're having artificial intelligence, um, doing different things on the creative side. Like I've seen videos of AI, like analyzing movies. Oh and yeah, just yeah, yeah. The hilarious oh, yeah. conclusions that they come up oh. with. <laughs> Yeah. But this time, someone got an artificial intelligence to write an ACDC song. Oh, I've seen someone try to do that with, like, more complicated bands. Like, something like Rush. And then it ends up coming out as just static, because they're such a weird band. Yeah. But I'm... it would work with ACDC, because it's like... Now, they didn't write the music, they just wrote the lyrics. Oh. So what they did is they, they put Shoot. into the computer okay. every ACDC song, and... And the artificial intelligence analyzed the lyrics and just created a bunch of phrases that seem very ACDC. Did it work? I think it did. <laughs> because for as long as I can remember since I was a kid, me and my dad always had a running joke that ACDC songs are about one of three things. Hell, balls, and rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. That's true. You can find most titles have one of those three things in it. Yeah. And the name of this AI song was called Great Balls. And so I was very proud. I can't believe what people will be doing with computers in 2020. Yeah. Because <laughs> people are really bored right now. And so yeah. So they're just working on all their computers. Oh, man. You know, coronavirus leads people to go, what if a computer wrote an ACDC song? <laughs> but yeah, and then what it is is the lyrics came out and they just, pretty much the the music is just for those about to rock. Oh, but yeah, then, okay. But then using the, the Great Balls lyrics. I have to say, it doesn't make any sense but there's a lot of phrases in there that's just like, that's something ACDC would say. <laughs> well, I mean, that's how artificial intelligence works. I mean, we've been kind of on that level for quite a while. It's just I've never seen anybody actually use it to actually write a song. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's pretty funny to... Um, it's pretty funny to he listen to... Uh, we're, we've got an Instagram post where we've we talk about that, so go check that out if you want to like find a link to go listen to the song. Oh, oh my goodness! Okay, <laughs> it's pr you won't be disappointed. Okay, I haven't seen that yet, so yeah, I guess you run the Instagram now. Yes, I do. Look at that. <laughs> uh, actually, right. my my beautiful wife does. So well, I just I just give her topics and I say, hey, post something about this. <laughs> hey, there's an AI ACDC song. Make a post. <laughs> So, oh I think with that, we can go ahead and get started on yes. our featured artist for this episode. <laughs> okay. Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath. We're going back to the beginning of heavy metal. Well, the beginning of the artists who are solely heavy metal. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a whole... I mean, maybe we can have this discussion now. Well, no, well, we, we talked about it. We that's talked right. About, did we talk about it last week? I think we talked about it last week. Not last week, but we did a couple weeks ago. Where? When it was when it was the 50th anniversary of the first album. Oh, I thought That's we were talking about when Metal Helter Skelter was the first yeah, metal song. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're absolutely right. We did talk about it. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean, kind of, I guess, the, the agreed upon beginning point of heavy metal. Right, because the Beatles never really went anywhere with that. Whereas Black Sabbath... They were the first metal band. They, they made it into what it is now for yes. the most part they were the single most driving force 
mm-hmm. into creating the middle genre. Yes, they were. So even though you, I've heard you argue their first album wasn't even metal; it was more blues. Yeah, although the um, it definitely boasts the first metal song with Black Sabbath. Right. I mean that is un. I would say it wasn't until about the late '80s or '90s that people wrote a heavier song than that. Hmm. As far as just like something with so Mood-wise. much doom and dread and horror and just just darkness around it, right? And because because yeah. uh, then after that, metal was personified by the speed and the aggression, not by the the horror and the occult behind it. I I remember some interview about one of the members of the band talking about how, you know, we have scary movies, why not have scary music? And then that's mm-hmm. where that happened. Yep. But before we get into all that, we should probably talk about who they are. Yes. So, we now, all know the singer. Yeah, Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> yes. It's the Prince of Darkness himself, how yes. he got started. Now, Black Sabbath has had a lot of lineup changes over the years. A lot of vocalist changes, sure. Yeah, specifically. And then they've had some drummer and bass change. Oh, really? T- Tony Iommi's the only member that's been on everything. Oh, I believe that. <laughs> um, He's the riff guy. But this episode and the songs that we're going to be looking at is specifically that first era, the Aussie era, mm-hmm. the 70s, before he was fired and went on to have one a, of the greatest a solo much better co- career, actually. I would say. One of the greatest solo careers, not just in metal, but in all of music. Mm-hmm. His, I mean, his solo career was was really inspiring to me as a musician. Mm-hmm. I used to play a lot of his Randy Rhodes songs. Oh yeah, they were some of the first that I ever learned. So. That's that's topic for a whole other episode. That is. I hope we get there. Yes, we we will. Okay. There's no way we won't we won't make an Aussie <laughs> episode. Okay, just okay. not yet. We needed to start with Sabbath first. All right. So, um, yeah, we're going to be concentrating, and really, we're not going to be going past the first four albums, even though there's um, eight albums with Ozzy in that first run wow. in the 70s. Because you had two, they had two albums come out in the 70. And then they released an album pretty much almost every year up until the late 70s, when the drugs just prevented them from making any more good music. Yeah, that'll, that would happen. <laughs> the, the copious amounts of cocaine. Yes. So, as I feel like I'm a broken record, I say that with every 70s artist, but that was the drug of the 70s. What can you do? Uh-huh. Cocaine, that's what you can do. You had acid in the, <laughs> acid in the 60s, mm-hmm. coke in the 70s, and then I would say heroin was, like, real big in the 80s with musicians. Well, I'd say it's bigger in the 90s. I would say alcohol was a thing in the 80s. Yeah. There were a lot of alcoholic bands. Yeah, 90s was a big heroin yeah. year, de- decade. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about like all the grunge bands. Yeah, that's true. Anyway. And that's, again... <laughs> that's, we... another, that's another <laughs> rabbit hole we could go down for about a half hour. Yes. Anyway, uh, so we got Ozzy on vocals in this iteration. We yes. Tony Iommi on guitar, and then the kind of unknown, quote-unquote, members of the band. To the average listener. I guess, yeah, to the average listener. Um, You've got Geezer Butler, who's the bassist. Yeah. And also the main lyricist. Yes. Very important role in the band. I've heard that. And you have Bill Ward on the drums. I've heard both those names, but I could not have recited them back to you. Interesting. I would have thought that you knew the four (laughs) godfathers of metal. No, 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 no. I would only know the guitarist, because, you know, that's how guitarists are. We're obsessed with ourselves. Yeah. But um, all of these guys are really, really good at their instruments. Oh, yeah. They're all, I would say, all-time 
all-time greats in the metal genre for sure. And and it's not even... I don't even say that about Geezer Butler aspect. Like, he's able to lay back on the bass. He's able to just play the bass part. No, he, like, really... He plays. He actually will do bass cool things. Uh Uh-huh. You know, like Cliff Burton type. Yeah, he was kind of... Running all over the place. uh Uh-huh. He was kind of the one that set that standard in Mm -hmm. heavy metal. While also, at the same time, being the first one, not just, obviously, in metal, because they were the first ones to do metal, but part of what made their sound so heavy was him copying what the guitar was doing. Yeah, doing on, the... on all the riff parts. Mm-hmm. And so that was not a normal thing to do in uh, rock music throughout the 60s. Now it's a thing everybody does. Oh, yeah. If you're not doing it, it's, it's notable. Now, now a lot of times it's used as a indicator that your bassist isn't very smart. Oh, really? Because he's not writing his own parts. He's just saying, "What? can you show me what notes you're playing, guitar player? Okay, I'm just going to do that. But it sounds good. I know. Like it's, it's a two-edged sword. I think that uh, I think that there are obviously times to do that, but then I think that you know you can get creative. Also, like you look at Cliff Burton, who would do like harmonies to the riff or counterpuntal. It's, it's where interesting. The riff you, goes up, he goes down, to where he's really thinking about what he's doing. It's interesting that you mentioned that again because there was one of those where you have. Uh, have you seen those videos where they have an artist, like a famous musical musician, musical musician, and they play music in their ears that they maybe don't know, and they have them comment on it. Maybe they they. There was one episode where they had Scott Ian listen to Cardi B. <laughs> I bet which that was, was interesting. Which was fun. Um, they had Getty Lee on an episode, and they played "For Whom the Bell Tolls," oh. and he said, "Oh, I don't really like this because the bass is copying the guitar." And I'm like, "Well, from the music he comes from, like that's not a normal thing. You know, the bass is usually doing its own thing." Mm-hmm. But it's interesting you mentioned Cliff Burton being one of those bassists that does something different. I think he has a really good mix, and I think so does Geezer Butler. He set a really good precedent, a president precedent, man, um, of being able to play the rhythm with the guitar to back it up and give it more power, mm-hmm. but know when it's okay to do those flurries of notes and kind of show off. Yeah, because they are a people's band. You know, mm-hmm. Ozzy talks about that all the time. They're a people's band, and they're kind of there for the show. They're there for the people, and they're there for the music. Yeah, and not for their own fame and fortune and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Yeah, with that so, soapbox. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that was a good soapbox to stand on. Yeah. Um, Black Sabbath just really uh, knew how to play together really well as a band. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see that through in the songs that we talk about. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit of kind of Black Sabbath's trajectory as a band. Um, I'll, I'll try to tell you what I know. Okay. And then I'll have you fill in the holes. Okay, so they. Okay, so they're they're a British band. They're a British band. I know that specifically. They're <laughs> they're the first to establish the metal scene in the town of Birmingham. Okay, and so I didn't even know that. So Birmingham <laughs> is a very important city in heavy metal culture. It is. Uh, it's where I want to say it's where Judas Priest came from. Um, the whole grindcore scene blossomed from oh, Birmingham. Wow. Um, there's just, from what I've heard... It's the Florida of England. From what I've heard, I think it was I heard Geezer Butler talking about just, like, why Birmingham is such a, a breeding ground for heavy metal. It's because it's an industrial town. 
and there's there's literally oh. a t- metal around yes. them all the time. Yes. And they just said it was a very depressing place. It was a very um, just like, especially in their time growing up, right after World War Two, just yeah. everything's bombed out and kind of ruined and um, just there's just not a lot going on. It's mm-hmm. you know it's where the lower class uh, people live typically. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Ozzy was like one of like seven kids. Oh wow! And they like barely had any money ever to like have anything for anyone. And mm-hmm. so it's just like that was like what Birmingham was. It's where all of the steel factory workers lived, mm-hmm. and they just worked in that area. Yeah. And they're just they felt like that there was this oppression that kind of inspired all of the anger and aggression inside of them, and this need to break out and kind of get into the real world. I remember there was a there was an interview Ozzy was talking about how if his dad didn't get him that PA that kind of started his career he would have like ended up dead in a ditch overdosed on something. Yeah. That and I mean I believe that he is kind of a he has yeah. an addictive personality. He already he was already a felon at the time of That's true. He's that's, already been convicted of of theft. That's true. By that's the time true. that he had uh joined Black Sabbath or as they were known at in beginning days, Earth. Oh, they had a name change. Yes, they did. Wow. Okay, I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. Was this before or after Tony Iommi's injury? Um, I want to say it was after. Really? Okay. But they hadn't started to experiment with their darker sounds yet. The okay. reason they changed it is because another band said, hey, that's our name. But the song Black Sabbath was written before they took the name Black Sabbath. So that would be why they're like the only band... Who has an album and a song nope. of the same name? No. Motorhead does. Iron Maiden does. Angel Witch does. I've not heard any of those songs. Oh, man. Okay. The Iron Maiden one's a really good one. That's like okay. what they end every single show with. Okay. Well, I've never been to an Iron Maiden show. With their, so. with their anthem. <laughs> um, but I would say yes. that they were among the, the first to do that. Yeah. To have... Uh, their name, the song, and the album, all three be Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. And the first song, and the first album. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Anyway, I was talking so, about Tony Iommi's injury. Yes, um, yes. So, Let's talk about that for the yeah. listeners that aren't aware. So they were all um, working their odd jobs or whatever because, you know, they need to make money. And they, the day before they decided to quit their jobs and go out on the road and start doing music full-time... Um, Tony Iommi was working in like some kind of steel mill, I think, mm-hmm. and he had, uh, it was really, if you weren't a guitar player, you probably wouldn't understand how detrimental this is, but I think it was like the last maybe eighth of an inch or something of his right hand or left hand, whichever hand he frets with, I think. That would be his right hand, because he's a lefty. Right, because he's a lefty, yeah. Um. Like me. Got completely chopped off. Um. And so he experimented a lot with trying to switch hands and play correctly, play right-handed, but he just couldn't do it. He couldn't break that habit. And so that's why he has band-aids over his fingers. Yeah, he created these little rubber tips to, to put over. Play, yeah. Uh-huh. And also a big that also influenced how their sound was because they downtuned the guitars because it was too painful for him oh, really? to do bends and runs with his fingers in that shape, at least at the beginning. And so he down-tuned the guitars to help ease the pain, and that's 
also what gave them their dark, doomy sound. How far down was it? Just a half step? Uh, I want to say they went down to D. Oh, wow. But then, like, on Masters of Reality, they went down to, like, another uh, half, step. half step from there. Mm. Just to get it deeper. Hmm. So, you know, that accident is not just, you know, shaping his the way he plays, but just the way that the guitar sounded. That's why they it was kind of the first time the guitars just sounded so menacing and so uh deep and Yeah, his and, tone really is. I mean, it stood the test of time. Like we would say today, that's really a menacing tone. Mm-hmm. It sounds like kind of like Slayer. Yeah. It's like nobody can take that, but you want it to sound just like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I had to say that yeah. tidbit. <laughs> uh-huh. And let's also talk about the fact that um, Tony Iommi, he didn't, I won't say he invented the riff, because there are riffs before. Right. But, but they popularized the riff based song structure. Yes. To where it's not as concerned about verses and choruses, but it's just about. Uh, this section and this section each having their own specific riff. Mm-hmm. And I will confidently say that there has never been a more prolific riff writer yes. than Tony Iommi. As far as how many iconic, all-time great riffs that he's written. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's also, you could say it was easy to say because the riffs hadn't been written yet. So mm-hmm. he had all of the obvious ones to choose from. But still, it takes someone to think of. Yeah, yeah, he did have to think of them. And um, so, you know, yeah. I mean, you look at other bands with all-time great riffs like Metallica and Pantera. And yeah, Pantera is what I think of when I think riff. But but he I stands would, up with them. Yeah, I would say that he's he's the only one that stands above them. It's just the the sheer number of great riffs. I mean, he just he would have five of the best riffs you've ever heard just in one song. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like he just never ran out of them, right? Until he did, which is what why the reason why their late seventies work was so bad was because he finally had writer's block and couldn't think of any more great riffs. But then he bounced back during the Dio era, right? But um, I think he suffers from what I call the Slayer syndrome, where you can write great riffs, but your solos are just not. He's, he's just not a solo guy. He's not a solo guy. And that's okay because his sense of melody, especially on our first song, mm-hmm. is, is is a big example of this. He can't really solo well, but he understands melody, he understands riffs, and he understands musical composition. And he's just a great songwriter. Yeah. Between him and Geezer. So, um, yeah, so, that's yeah. true. And they are panned, usually from what I can tell on most of the songs in this list, they're panned hard left, hard right. And so you can hear the bass, and you can also hear the guitar. Um, and they have their own space in the mix, which I guess it was during that time in the 70s when they were experimenting with panning. Um, yeah, that was it was still, I guess, relatively new. It wasn't right. as new in 70, but, you know, hadn't been out probably four years at that time. Right. And it gives this wide tone. Uh-huh. This wide, but still coming at you, mm-hmm. tone. Yeah. Which is cool. Let's also talk about what Ozzy added to the band. Oh, a lot. His voice. Because, I mean, let's talk about the fact that he was the first metal singer. Yes. And what that, what that meant for metal singers from that point onward. Yeah, and you can see 
over the course of his career, even with just Black Sabbath, his voice changed and him develop his voice into what we know of it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one can really copy that voice except for, I would say, Zach Wilde because he was trained by Ozzy. Zach, yeah, I was going to say, Zach Wilde does sound a lot like Ozzy. Right, right. Um, I, I originally thought that Ozzy actually sang for Black Label Society. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a minute. He's not in the band, but anyway. Um, Black Label Society. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, I just had to think about Zach Wilde for a second and how great of a guitar player he is. But anyway, um, Ozzy Osbourne, I don't know what you want to say about this. Maybe as much just like finding your own voice and not following like the, the Elvis Beatles kind of. Yeah, voices. I mean, obviously he was inspired by them, but just, just kind of, he became like the mythical figure. The Prince of Darkness. The Prince of Darkness. Yes. Um, I would say he probably maybe more stepped into that when he started his solo career mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, it became the Aussie show. Right. But, I mean, especially look at a song like Black Sabbath where it's just like he captures that sense of dread and sheer terror so well. And um, not concentrating as much on vocal technique mm-hmm. as is just his his voice is creating a mood. Almost like it is its own instrument. Yes, which I love it when when artists do that. Uh, There's no better voice for Black Sabbath's work than Ozzy's strange sounding voice. Right, it's it's kind of like Jane's Addiction. Yeah. Whereas, like, his voice isn't maybe technically accurate. It's not the way that you'd want to sing, like, Elvis songs or any other kind of pop song. But it Mm -hmm. fits their sound, and it adds its own little twist and mood. Mm-hmm. And Ozzy definitely does that. Yes, he does. Um, and he really does that in his solo career. But we can't talk about that. So, anyway. <laughs> Someone's a little bitter. I'm just a little sad that... Okay. Yeah, don't worry. We'll get there. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so... 1970, that first album comes out. And it pretty immediately starts to make an impact in Europe. It should. I think it made it... I think the album... Made into like the top twenty-five, which they were not expecting at all, mm-hmm. because it was such a an out there record. I mean, nothing. No one had ever made music like that before, mm-hmm. and it really set the um, the tone with the follow-up Paranoid, which came out the same year. Mm. And wait, that was the follow-up album. Yep. Talk about a follow-up. Which wow. Well, which I will say is the first true metal album. You mean their album War Pigs? I mean, they had to change it for radio for radio reasons or for publicity reasons or because the political reasons. Well, it's because the record company said we're not going to distribute the album if it's called that. It's too shocking. Yeah. So they went with paranoid. Whatever. Uh, Yeah. Imagine them doing that today. Oh yeah. It's unheard of today. Mm -hmm. Oh, they everything lived or died by the record executives at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about shocking. I mean, oh, they'll let yeah. you do whatever shocking stuff nowadays, because that's just, that's the norm. Well, and people are desensitized. Well, okay. <laughs> not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but... Right. I mean, right. I think to some degree it is, but... Um, kind of loudness wars. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the follow-up, and I would say that that's the, that's the true first metal album from start to finish. I would agree with you from what I've heard. I've only really heard 
from what I can think of, the two songs that are on this list. You mean the three? That there you go. There's three. <laughs> we got there's three, three that I didn't even know. We got three songs from that album on this um, list. I, I think I know what the third one is. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So those three songs are definitely metal songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but whereas I think we do have some representation from the first album, right? Yes, we do. The very last. Uh-huh. Yeah. That that sounds like all kind of post-blues to me. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Almost like Led Zeppelin would have written that. Uh-huh. But yeah, so. and then we have the third album that comes out in 71, Master of Reality. Yeah. And that, yes. I think that that, until, man, until maybe like the late 70s, that was like the heaviest album written up to that point. Even Sabbath didn't out heavy that album there are some great songs on that record yeah. including sweet leaf mm-hmm. which is my favorite black sabbath song bow now. Bow um, now. well it it might be tied with the one that's on this list okay but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see what so that's... you already know which one's my favorite <laughs> i mean i i definitely could guess <laughs> but um i did a cover of that with one of my friends in uh in the studio which we're in right now um and because I really love that riff, I just took it down to drop D and tried to make it as heavy as possible. Mm-hmm. And me, with my 15-year-old mixing skills, it didn't quite get to what I wanted. But it was fun nonetheless. Now you're 19. So. And you can well, now I'm 19 and I can remix it. And you're so, so, and you're so uh, talented now. <laughs> yeah, so much more talented, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, but no, that was, that was fun. I love that song because it's heavy. But it's still in like the blues scale somehow. Yeah, and it's really chill and slow. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It it kind of takes you places. It's about drugs, but it's also like creepier than just marijuana. I don't know. I, only Black Sabbath can do that. I think. Yeah. You know, you can't. You can't have. I would say you can't even have like any of the modern metal bands do anything like that mm. because everything's so well, faster, that... aggressive now well i mean there is that there is that entire sect of of music that blossomed from sweet leaf with stoner metal did i you, believe it did you know that that was a, I a legitimate I know genre it existed but it's like that's a genre that's not mainstream no or, it's not mainstream or even no. close no but i mean so, pretty much just about that whole genre is sabbath worship i believe it so. i believe it Maybe we'll maybe we'll take a deeper look in that at some point. Yes. So yeah, you've got Masters of Reality. You've got Volume Four, that comes right after that. Okay. In I want to say seventy two, then seventy three. This is early. Wow. Yeah, seventy three is Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. I'm pretty sure they skip a year, and seventy five is when Sabotage comes out. I'll I'll do. A... Oh, like the Beastie Boys song. Yeah, and that's actually that's actually a great record. It's their last great record of that era, in your opinion. <laughs> um, it's not my opinion. the The two albums that come after that are universally hated. Oh, is that the one with the the weird like the rope- saturated like alien baby? No, that's the, that's during their weird eighties period. Oh, okay. Uh, no, this is um, Technical Ecstasy and Never Say Die are the two that come after that, where it's just like... They sound no, kind of cool. No, well, then you'll look at the album art, and it's just like, what <laughs> okay. the heck is happening? 
okay, that look okay. Technical ecstasy looks like a Pink Floyd album. I know it doesn't look any like it would be heavy at all. And then there's Never Say Die, which is pretty... Never Say Die actually looks. Yeah, no, that one looks pretty cool. No, it's um, there. It I would say there's Megadeth. not. No, it looks what like Megadeth. If Megadeth uh, yeah. was in the late 70s, that's kind of what they would look Probably, like. Probably, but yeah, the music does not hold up to it. It's pretty It's pretty terrible. You yeah. could just tell that they just, like, didn't care at that point. Or I mean, they probably had enough didn't have pounds the, of cocaine. They didn't have the energy to care. I, I know they had enough pounds of cocaine to be able to flush it all down the toilet when the uh, police were coming. Mm-hmm. I remember that story. Yep. Like some interview. <laughs> There's plenty of documentaries about their drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Ozzy is... <laughs> Is, should be studied it, for how yeah. to survive. How he hasn't had more blood transplants than Keith Richards is beyond me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I have no idea how the man is still alive. Yeah. And you can tell by the way he speaks. Mm-hmm. The way he talks. It's just... Which he can still sing perfectly. Yeah. It's, it's just... crazy. It's like Phil Anselmo. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, Phil Anselmo in interviews is like, now I'm from New Orleans, Jack, and when you can make a note... Wiggle with vibrato. And then that's the end of the sentence. He just goes on to another thought after that. Because <laughs> there's so much alcohol in his system, like, from ever. Yeah. Um, Ozzy's, I'm surprised he's not, he's as coherent, but he still talks with quite a slurred speech, which mm-hmm. is super sad. But um, And, of course, we keep talking about, uh, in episodes frequently, about his health issues uh-huh yeah he just won't die which i'm i'm glad he won't never say die Ozzy. <laughs> uh but um no hopefully he's listening <laughs> to this and he appreciates alive. our res- he knows we we, we respect him. him being alive yes we yes. respect him immensely it's just um good lord i don't know and how the rest of it. the band and the rest of the band of oh course. yeah and he I was don't... he was not the only drug yes. abuser in the band yes. i just think that he's the most famous one because right of how crazy he got specifically in the 80s afterward. Mm-hmm. The part of his life he says that he has very little memory of. Mm-hmm. So. But yeah, so that was kind of the rise and fall. Like, So Sabotage was like the last great Sabbath record mm-hmm. of that era. And then after that it just went. Not only were they not critically well received, the album sold pretty terribly. And so, mm-hmm. and by that point, you know, because... I want to say that came out, Technical Ecstasy was 77, and, uh, no, 76, Never Say Die was 78. At that point, the second wave of metal was beginning. That's Judas Priest now was finally on the scene. Yes. Motorhead was on the scene. That's the good wave. And so, <laughs> at that point, they weren't, they didn't have a corner on the market. They weren't really relevant. And so, it was just, and there was a pretty, um, a pretty telling tour when Black Sabbath was the headliners and they took out a brand new Van Halen when oh, that first record had just come wow. out and Van Halen just eclipsed them oh yeah like people started to come to see Van Halen and then leaving before Black Sabbath came on no yeah that's that happened with uh, Night Ranger and Rat mm-hmm. so that's happened it's, happen- it's happened with lots of artists so that's sad. it happened to Van Halen when they Brought out um, a young Alice in Chains. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know they toured together. Yep. I would have stayed to see Van Halen, but okay. <laughs> I mean, that was the that was the point when Van Halen was starting to crumble under the Sammy Hagar 
brain. But, yeah, so at that point, they weren't the new guys. They weren't the innovators anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it spiraled down until just a change had to be made. Ozzy was kicked out of the band. He was fired, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And then he had a miraculous uh, save. Pretty much due to Sharon and Randy. Yeah. (laughs) And then Black Sabbath somehow rebounded by getting Ronnie James Dio. Who had a career before them. Uh Uh-huh, with Rainbow. That's when we had, yeah, that's when we had um, the, was that the um, Holy Diver album? Was was that after Sabbath? That's after his stint with Sabbath. That was his third successful band. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he is another. Oh, we're. Whole other discussion. Oh, yeah. Now, another reason why I wanted to get to Black Sabbath was so that way now I could unlock the ability to do a Ronnie James Dio episode. Yeah, it's kind of like that that advancement tree. You've now unlocked a whole bunch of... <laughs> That's kind of how I pick bands sometimes. I go, okay, I'm going to pick this because then that allows me to talk about this, 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 mm-hmm. this. That's why I did... big reason I did Genesis so early is because I was like, then that unlocks me doing Peter Gabriel. Real, and lets me Phil do Phil Collins. Collins and, and, yeah. So. That's fun. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, doing this episode is unlocking me doing Ozzy Silla career and doing a Ronnie James Dio Mm-hmm. Uh, not just his solo career, but him with Black Sabbath as well. Crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... So, but, I mean, for most of the 70s, Black Sabbath was at the top of the metal because they were the only guys in metal. Right. Really in such a way that you couldn't even classify them as metal. That term wasn't being quite used yet. Well, it was used on Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, but... Not as a they genre, weren't. They weren't. sound. Their music was not described as heavy metal. At that time. Mm-hmm. Really, their contemporaries during that period were Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple. I those, see that. I those see three that. bands were kind of always grouped together because they were like the three heaviest bands at that time. All yeah. in very different ways. Yeah. But you can see that there's a similarity between them. Yeah, and then you and combine them all together and you get the 80s. And also Black Sabbath, even after heavy metal was coined as you know, its own genre. They didn't identify themselves as a metal band. Really? They always, uh, like, hard blues or hard rock or downer rock. Downer. And they are. uh, Judas Priest was really kind of the first metal band to, like, proudly wear the badge of heavy metal upon them, to, to proudly carry the flag. Yes. And say, we are a metal band... And we are going to proclaim it to the world. They did. That we are metal. And that's kind of always been part of their MO, is they always describe themselves as metal, metal. something. Yep. Metal so. gods, or whatever the song goes. Hey, go check out our Judas Priest episode. Yes. We talk about metal gods. Yeah. Because that's one of my favorite priest songs. Okay. Uh, I mean, it was off British Steel, right? Yeah. yeah it's a great record. Is, which is a good record. I mean, not my favorite priest record, but... Anyway, I'll save that for volume two. Yes. <laughs> All right, so I think that... Is there anything else you were wanting to touch on? I was on? wondering if you wanted to say anything about Bill Ward. Oh, yeah. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Ward. I, I talked a little bit about Tony Iommi. So. Yeah. Bill Ward. So he's kind of... I guess if there's any band member that gets forgotten in Black Sabbath, it tends to be Bill Ward. Hence why we forgot about them. <laughs> um, Bill Ward is a really great drummer. And it's interesting because his style of drumming ends up becoming pretty opposite of what becomes the standard type of drumming in heavy metal. Because oh. he has a very jazz-based influence in his playing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a John Bonham style player. He's, really, I kind of put them together. Mm-mm. He's very much more a a jazz um, blues guy. You can just tell in the way that he does his cymbals, the way he does his fills. He's not a thundering player. He's more of he hits hard, but he does it a bit more with a with a a flair to it. A little more Keith Moon than John Bonham. Mm. Okay. She know who Keith okay. Moon is, right? Um, I'm gonna guess it's the it's the who. Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, I feel like that's the the area he pulls more from. And then, okay. as yeah. as metal would move on. It would follow more on like the John Bonham side, where it's just like you just pound the drums and you play it pretty solidly, you know. Pretty straightforward. Looking at kind of the the beginning drummers of that next era with uh, filthy. Alex Van Halen is what I think of. Yeah, well, even I wouldn't even say him. Um, I would say Alex Van Halen and Bill Ward have a lot more in common with each other, really, because okay. they've got that more of that swing that. Um, that taste for kind of just like unpredictable fills and odd hits. I'm talking about drummers like Filthy Animal Taylor from Motorhead uh, or Clive Burr, the first drummer for Iron Maiden. Yes. Um, okay, I see what you're saying. You know, looking at those drummers, um, Les Binks, who was on those early Judas Priest records. Lars. Lars, eventually, <laughs> yes. Uh, those are those are kind of the guys that really set the foundation for metal drumming, you know, especially you know bringing in the double bass pedal and just uh, really yes. bringing the sense of just like the drums were really tight and they're and, supposed to be noisy and noisy and, and it's less about technique and more just about pummeling your skull in with the fury of the drums. Yeah, flotsam and jetsam style. Yeah, <laughs> and I would say that Bill Ward does not fit that mold. Which is interesting. Again, I would people didn't copy Black Sabbath style of metal until the, like the mid to late eighties, mm-hmm. when doom metal finally became an official subgenre. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was more following Priest and Motorhead, kind of either camping in one or two camps, or sometimes both. Right. Both sides, both camps were really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you. You have this kind of this interesting area where Black Sabbath started everything, but they really didn't do a whole lot of influencing in as far as the next wave. Ah, see, I thought you were going to say something like you said with Death, where it's like they started it and influenced it along the way. Mm, see, I wouldn't say that Black Sabbath did that. Mm. Now, not, I can't say that... It's not to say that they aren't influential. They absolutely are. Metal, oh, they were the spark that... Metal would not exist without them. Right. But it's just interesting to see the bands that came after them sounded nothing like Sabbath. Judas Priest right. and Black Sabbath are quite opposite on the spectrum. They really are, now that you mention it. And so is Motorhead. Motorhead doesn't sound anything like Sabbath. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's for and sure. And those were the two big metal bands that came after Sabbath. They both came around 76, 77. It's really weird to think about. And then you look at kind of all the bands that got big at the turn of the 80s. It's Iron Maiden and all the hair metal stuff. Hair mm-hmm. metal does not have a lot in common with Black Sabbath. Um, you know, you've got, you know, the early black metal scene and thrash metal and all this stuff. It's just none of it's pulling from Sabbath. Well, I mean, the Paranoid album, kind of. 
Mm, I mean, maybe the song Paranoid. The song Paranoid, and I would say to some extent War Pigs and Iron Man. And... Yeah, but just as far as just, like, the whole thing with Sabbath was about this slow plotting, um, just really tectonic riffs. And tectonic. Yeah, just like earth-shaking right. riffs. Where right. the emphasis afterwards was speed and aggression and technicality. That's such a weird change. I know. Like how? Whatever. It's we'll so have to do a deep dive. See how that. It's so sometimes. fascinating. I mean, I think I understand why it happened. It's just because that's what the next bands did. Everyone followed Judas Priest and Motorhead's example. But they both did that. Is the weird thing. Mm-hmm. So. And anyway, then, but then yeah, finally, when we get to the eighties and nineties, we see now finally, you know, you've got stoner metal. You've got. Um, um, I'm trying to think of the right genre here. Um, doom metal. Doom. No, no, that wasn't the one I was thinking of. No. Sludge metal. Mm. That's what like you would put early Mastodon into. Uh. And, um, you know, just kind of more following Black Sabbath sound and the mood. Mm-hmm, and just kind of these metal bands that were focusing on. Um, just slowing things down and just writing like immensely heavy riffs and not worrying as much about how fast we're playing it, not having double bass and double time riffs and mm. these crazy solos. It's more of just about creating atmosphere, which is what Black Sabbath did very well. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I think at that could, point now, yeah, I could I could go on for another fifteen minutes, kind of about Tony Iommi, but. <laughs> we'll have plenty of opportunity we, to talk I think we can about take him. this opportunity to take a break. Mm-hmm. So. so when we come back, we're going to talk about our six Black Sabbath songs. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Black Sabbath and the fact that they created an entire genre that was followed for decades to come, and even today. So, now, it's time for us to talk about our six songs for this episode. So, what do I mean by that, Lucas? So, for those of you that are watching us for the first time, first off, go check out a bunch of our other episodes. (laughs) But, we always dedicate this section to talk about some specific songs, that way we can kind of talk more concretely about their sound, their music, their songwriting. And also, for those of you that may have never listened to Black Sabbath before or have very little exposure to them, this list is going to be your best possible first step into this band. Mm-hmm. So oh, I'm, not, a good step. <laughs> I'm not just picking their six most popular songs or what I think are their six best songs. These are six songs that are going to get you introduced to who Black Sabbath is, as well as... I like to order them and arrange them in a way to where they flow together from start to finish. They're not just a random mishmash of songs. So when you listen to them all in a row, by the time you get to the end, you'll have had, hopefully, an emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So that's 
And also, uh, the way that you can listen to these songs is there's a link in the description of the episode where you can go look at a Spotify playlist, and uh, the songs will be right there, as well as the songs from all the other episodes that we've done. So go yes. check that out. So what's our first song, Grant? Our first song is War Pigs. I mean, there really is not a better way to start off. Is there, though? I mean, you could have started with Black Sabbath. Yeah, but <laughs> the, the hard thing about the song Black Sabbath is, is just, again, with the flow. I don't know where it, to... Uh, yeah, it doesn't... It starts and ends at the same point, kind of. Yeah, I... Because originally I had that song at the end of the set, but then I was listening to it and I was just like, uh, it just doesn't feel right. And I, it pained me to take it off. I was just like, I just don't know what to do with this song. Mm-hmm. I don't know where to put it. And unfortunately, I just got to throw it out. And hopefully I can do another set where it works. Mm-hmm. Might be even a thing. Maybe I do it on like our music history series that we do. Look at that. Oh, yeah, which we are planning. Yes. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, We're going to record a first episode for that in the not-too-distant future. Ooh, look at that. So it's coming up for you guys, and it's coming up for uh-huh. me, too. A couple months <laughs> away for you guys, about a month away for us. Um, this song is the first off the Paranoid album? Yes, it is. Okay, so it was, it was the original title song. Uh-huh. Um, but because it was so political, which, if you look at the lyrics, you know, it's kind of... Um, that's not why. That's not why. Okay. Because record executives never looked at what the lyrics were about, usually. Really? They just they just saw, War Pigs, oh, that sounds ugly, change it. Okay. That's just, that's how... That's the story I heard. That's how they always did it. Okay. Um, And originally, that's also not what the song was about. Oh. Originally, it was called Walpurgis. What? Which is a satanic word. And the song was actually about witches at black masses. Oh. It was about, like... Conjuring Satan and eating rat innards, and like it was supposed to be like this really dark demonic song, like that, something that would like have that outdone something that would have outdone the first Black Sabbath song. And in that instance, the executives saw the song and they were just like, "There is no way that you can release this," and so they changed the lyrics to make it anti-war politics. And then it's just like, okay, it can be on the album, but we don't want to have an album called War Pigs. People won't buy it. And so, Paranoid is a good album name. It is. It's a good. Although album it doesn't name. really fit the album art. The album art fits War Pigs. Yeah, it really does. Um, but yeah, the album art is super weird. It's very early seventies. Oh yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> but th- I feel like that this is the best place to start with Black Sabbath. It this was the first is. Black Sabbath song I ever heard. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Not Iron Man. Not Iron Man. Although I had heard that riff before, I just didn't ever hear the song. the song. Okay. Um, so, War Pigs was the first, and it was thanks to Guitar Hero. It was on the Guitar Hero 2 game. Go. And I had no idea at that time that Ozzy Osbourne was the singer of Black Sabbath. And so I was just like, whoa, this is a real cool song. <laughs> yeah, I, I discovered this song because I was um, bored doing homework one day. I think it was like freshman or sophomore year of high school. And I was listening to Ozzy Osbourne. My dog was there. I'm like, I wonder if there's any Ozzy Osbourne songs about animals. And so, of course, I got Bark at the Moon. Yeah. And oh, great song. War Pigs was the next one on the list. I'm like, I've never heard this song. I love this song. It's like... 
I didn't like the solo, but I liked the melody at the end, which I guess is Luke's wall, technically. Yeah. Um, which we can get to the ending later, but... Mm -hmm. We'll work um, our way there. And the fact that I didn't expect there to be those parts where it's just a hi-hat, uh -huh. you know, in the, in the very beginning of the song, during the verses, you know, the... Yeah. I didn't expect the, the instruments to cut out for a Black Sabbath song, because mm -hmm. they're so sludge and doom and dark. Yeah. And Which that, I kinda, mean, that kind of sounded upbeat to me. But, for them. honestly, I think, to me, it's the opposite. I hear that, and it's just like this, it's almost like a ticking time bomb, where it's just like, there's this dread that, that builds as that hi-hat is just going by itself. Hmm. You're just kind of wondering, okay, what's about to happen? And then Ozzy's voice comes in, and you're just like, holy yeah. crap! And they, they rhyme masses with masses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which I guess is, is Geezer Butler's doing. Yeah. But it just, it fits. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I just, I think that, you know, if I were to say objectively what I think the best Black Sabbath song is, I think it's this one. Just really? compositionally, lyrically, just everything in this song works. It does. That's true, it does. There isn't anything that I would change about it. And I think it's just, when you can successfully make an epic song, mm -hmm. I think that it just, compositionally, you have to give it the merits. Because when you write a seven and a half minute song, it's easy to meander. And this song does not meander at all. Every single second has a defined purpose. Yeah, a meaning. And, they, and even if they repeat some riffs or some melodies like Tony Iommi does, it sounds fresh every time because they put something else before it or after it or whatever. Well, I think a big part of it is uh, Bill Ward's drum playing because he never that plays he never plays the same fill twice in this song. Every time they do the bam 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 he puts that little fill in between. Oh, Every yeah. fill's different. He doesn't ever do the same one. And that's again, nice. that's, that's due to his freeform style of drumming. He's not, you know... Like, if Clive Burr from Iron Maiden would have done it, he probably would have done fairly the same riff, and it would have been on time. Like, some of the fills, it sounds like they're not going to land on the one in time, just because, again, that's more of his jazzy, freestyle, that's Keith, like a tool thing to do. Keith Moon approach. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. <laughs> so, um, but then, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's look at the lyrics in this song. So, what is, what is War Pigs about? Who I, are the War Pigs? I think this is yet another 70s song about vietnam oh yeah okay it is. i'm right i'm correct mm -hmm. that's my speculation i never actually looked up anything about it uh and the war pigs are the politicians who start wars because why not yeah and it's just all the the peasants like us who have to pay for it mm-hmm just talking about how you know we are the pawns mm -hmm. and you know why should they have to go out and, and do the fight yeah. You know, they can they can wage war because it doesn't cost them anything. Mm -hmm. And just kind of just questioning, you know, what's what's the point of war? Is there so, is there anything that is so bad that we have to kill each other for it? That's true. Now that now that we have that whole intro that we talked about Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And it also fits in just like makes sense. they were very um 
yes, they set the template for talking about war and metal. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, man, Thrash really... Was anti-war. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they Which almost one? they almost do it from, like, a hippie standpoint. Where it's oh, yeah. just, you know... Because that was the part of the culture that they were in. And, um... But it just... They also just throw in a lot of that leftover stuff from uh, Walpurgis. Of... Um, Satan laughing spreads his wings. I mean, just mm-hmm. like, oh, holy crap, saying that in 1970? Yeah. Well, but, like, I think it's it's effective because it's, like, they're saying, like, Satan wants the war. Mm-hmm. Like, you're you're basically worshipping Satan if you're... He, whenever, yeah, he's, like, say, they're saying. he's saying that, ultimately, that's who they work for, is for the devil. Yeah. The war pigs. But it's interesting how they kind of get their comeuppance towards the end of the song. On yes. their knees, the war pigs crawling, begging mercies for their sins. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the this is the logical conclusion after Pink Floyd's Animals. Mm-hmm. The sheep finally figure out it's the pigs. Yep, the pigs are always the, <laughs> the bad pigs ones. Are always the bad ones. And and at that point, he says, "Satan laughing spreads his ring," kind of saying, "Just like you, I don't care about you." You know, you just did what you were told. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I, I win either way. You started this war, killed a bunch of people. Now you're being punished for your crimes, and I still get to enjoy your suffering. Wow. It's, wow. I get I get kind of some Megadeth lyric vibes yeah. from this. Very anti-war and also satanic. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's Black they Sabbath for it. They mixed it, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's really good because it's definitely definitely anti-war. But they say Satan laughing spreads his wings and witches at black masses, and mm-hmm. it fits lyrically. Um, but yeah, you started talking about Luke's Wall, and I did kind of earlier. Yeah, uh, we've got like is, this. Uh, we've got a fairly normal song, right? I mean, not normal as in like well. Or, t- to I Black mean, Sabbath, it's normal. Yeah, but yeah. then we have this this other section we go into. Which I and, love oh, this. It's the part of the song, whenever I was playing it through on Guitar Hero, that like blew me away. When it gets to the... I remember... like It's kind of like Boston. You know, um, with that melodic guitar yeah, but, center? Yeah, but like minor instead of major. <laughs> oh, Boston did some minor stuff. Whatever. Yeah, it's I wish just, we could talk about Boston. Oh, we will. It's oh point. yes. Yeah, I. <laughs> it does not conjure that idea to me. To me, it's just like it's it's dreadful and powerful. Whenever it gets to that point, where it's like it's almost like the apocalypse has just begun. Oh, that makes more sense because it sounds almost triumphant to me. Yeah, but at the same time, it's it's. To me, I just see, like, the entire world melting away at, during this section, where it's just, you yeah. know, um, maybe it's it's the devil triumphant. Or the end of Terminator 3, when all the nuclear missiles are mm-hmm. rising up out of the ground. Yeah. yeah. So no, that's, I can see that. That's the, that's the feeling that I always get from that. Yes, I mean, it's, it's I guess you could say it's climactic. Yes. The whole, the whole song builds an energy to this point, and then it's, it's a cathartic release and we're just getting out of the first song yeah i know so the next five songs are their own thing uh no but um then they have that sped up ending yeah which is a good precedent i said it correctly this time for uh black sabbath having very strange sounds and or endings in their songs Mm -hmm. which we'll see later 
um, in some of our other songs, even on this album too. Uh-huh. Um, they have, you know, their Luke's Wall riff or whatever, and it's the, it's the E minor 7 arpeggio that he's doing, and then it speeds up and up and up and up, and then the song ends. Yeah. And it's kind of weird. And it, it kind of, it gives you, it gives you a nice little suspension that gets resolved pretty neatly by our next song. Well, I, I would say that very much so because of the fact that they're literally just speeding it up because why not, I think. You know, they're kind of still in their early career. Yeah, they're, they're experimenting. Like, this sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of it ending on the root note, they end on like B or C or somewhere in there, mm-hmm. which is the five or what, whatever they're, they're in, it's the five. And the resolution of the five is the one. And our next song starts on the one. So whether you did that intentionally or not, I mean, I didn't know. Out. I didn't know all the theory behind it, but I just know it feels good. I go off a of feeling. Black Sabbath is not a theory band. Um, no, but as far as we know, this is this is the title song of that same album, and the song that we made a cover of. It, this is a very special song to me because I've played it ten million times. Uh, we played it in our band Area Fifty Two. Yes, we did. We covered it, of course, like you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And this was the. Ooh, I don't want to say it's the first, but it was among the first three songs I ever learned to play on guitar. Wow. It was it was with uh, You Really Got Me and Crazy Train. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty standard That's a standard, intro. Yeah, right. Uh, but, no, this this was also a song that I learned on bass back when I would play bass and my dad played guitar and we'd jam out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, special song to me, even though it's not my favorite on the list. Yeah, I um, mean... I don't, know ma- I don't know many people that would say that Paranoid is their favorite Black Sabbath song, but it's an essential song of theirs because of what it did for them and just what it signifies for metal in general. It was written in the studio. Yes, it was. So uh, they the album was almost finished, and they just realized we've got a little bit of space left here on the record that we got to fill up. And Tony Iommi just started launching into the riff, and... Bill Ward had said that they were, like, all fumbling to get to their instruments. Because they were just like, oh, oh, he's got the riff! Come on, quick, let's record! (laughs) And they finished the song in, like, 15 minutes. Wow. And Ozzy Osbourne was, like, making up the words as he went. (laughs) That's... He could not do that today. Well, and that was the the way he... uh, Song would come up with melodies. Is He would Mm -hmm. just sing kind of nonsense words in the same way Bono does. We talked Ah, about in U2. He would just kind of come up with the melody, and he would just sing random words, and mm-hmm. he would record it. And Geezer would take that and kind of pull from it and say, okay, I like this word here. Let's figure out how to make this work into my overall theme. Mm-hmm. So that's how sometimes, you know, Ozzy and Geezer would kind of co-write, was you would have these um, these, these partials that Ozzy would come up with first, and then Geezer would kind of figure out how to flesh it all together. That's a nice little duo there. Yeah. Because you get the best of both worlds. Because mm-hmm. Ozzy's main focus is I'm, I'm trying to come up with my vocal pattern, the melody that I'm going to sing. And so... And he came up with coherent lyrics mm-hmm. that fast. And yeah. at that tempo, both mm-hmm. that fast and that fast. He was really good at that. And the band kind of clarifies it. Just like Ozzy was, was, had an uncanny ability to just find a great melody. That's true. <laughs> that is true. He, other people did not tell him what vocal melodies to sing. He that was his job. 
I think our fifth song really exemplifies that. Mm -hmm. But um, we're not there yet. Um, so this is the first riff song, quote-unquote. I mean, big War, air quotes War here. Pigs has tons of great riffs in them. But this was riff-centered. It was just the same riff over and over again. Yeah, but I mean, it's one of the most iconic metal riffs ever. Mm. Man, this song has been covered. It's been so covered many. by everybody. Yeah. I mean... It's almost like a rite of passage. You have to learn how to play this song or else you don't deserve to play your instrument. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's a perfect song to do when you're starting out, which is a big reason why we picked it is because it's, you know, everything is, is simple. It's in the pocket. Yep. Um, although you definitely throw an advanced level guitar solo into there. <laughs> I try. Hey, that was the only place I could really put my little pizzazz because the rest of the song was simple. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I'm excited for everybody to listen to that solo. I took like a million takes to get it right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it sounded really good. So, um, it's, it's very dime bag. Anyway, we can talk about that all the time, but we are talking about Paranoid right now. Yeah. And speaking of which, I don't have much to say about Paranoid. I mean, it's a, what, it's a, two, two and a half minutes a, long? We've probably talked about the song for three times as long as the song is. Probably. <laughs> so... Uh, let's move on to the next one. Okay. Uh, next one is my favorite song. Ah, okay, I would have picked more pigs for you. Yes, so it is. Children of the Grave. This is, uh... This is our representative from Masters of Reality. Yes, 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 yes. Master, yes. not Masters. The, the way I discovered this one was it was on the Randy Rhodes tribute album with Ozzy that was released after his death. Yes. Um, and that's where, that's actually where I learned Paranoid from. Okay. Um... Uh, which makes sense because Crazy Train, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they did uh, Iron Man. And then I always just listened to Iron Man, didn't listen to the next song. And then I finally listened to the whole album. And then after Iron Man, he goes, okay, we're going to do Children of the Grave. I'm like, what song is this? And then Randy comes in with like, they did it. Oh, yeah. And then I kind of fell in love with that song pretty much instantly. Mm -hmm. This is a this is like a very <laughs> archetypal metal riff. It is a yeah. <laughs> I remember I was I was showing some of these songs to a friend of mine that doesn't listen to metal at all, mm -hmm. and this song came on, and they were like, "Oh, this this sounds like a metal riff." Yeah, yeah. So where it's just like I feel like you know the other songs like yeah they're metally but they're also like I wouldn't say like influential riffs this is a riff that i feel like this is influential yes i mean the fact that you can do different rhythms on the same single note mm -hmm. has basically created a genre thrash. i would say thrash is pretty much this song thrash is is mostly just different rhythms of the same open e string i mean i think of pantera when i think about that i mean psycho Hel psycho holiday is like the most prominent one uh new level is the same way mm -hmm. um they're a big band that's like that um and then of course all of the early metallica and megadeth and slayer even i would say mm -hmm. is pretty much just different rhythms of the same note which came from the genius of tony iomi's riffage yeah i would say the children of the grave was the first ever riff like that to kind of yep. just like you know, you're mostly chugging on one open string and then coming in with those accents. Where, yeah, you have the three and then the one that's different. Mm -hmm. So, And yeah, this, this is also the album that was tuned down to C-sharp. 
Wow. Not quite as much as Jugulator, but still pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, definitely a tone that would not be copied for quite some time. No. No. I think it yeah. took till the late 80s before we even went down a half step. No, Motley Crue was down a full Yeah, step. they were doing... They were but that was just because Vince could point. sound higher. Um, mm. Yeah, and I would say this is another example of Black Sabbath having the occult lyrics on the front, where it's like, children of the grave, you know, ah. But, but it's saying a social it's message. Been, yeah, it's sending a social message. Yeah, it's very like similar to War Pigs. Yeah. yeah. It's calling, yeah, that's the soldiers, they're children of the grave. Which is really cool mm-hmm. when when a song has two different meanings. Yeah. So, so um, we've get, we get a pretty cool breakdown in this song. Oh, yeah, where we finally get to see the flat five in metal. Oh, okay, uh, so tell us about that. What's so the flat five? The flat five is the furthest note you could get from the note. It's it's the tritone. It's the devil's chord. Um, if you were to go on a piano and play a C, F sharp would be the flat five. It's the it's the tritone of the C. So it's the furthest you can get tonally from that, and it has a really dark sound when you go so down. It's the exact, so it. that would be the exact middle between so, the Cs. Yes. So where he goes, da, 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 da. that last one is uh, is the flat five. Okay. So. See, I knew the term tritone, but I didn't know that that was also called the flat five. Well, I, I call it the flat five because it's just. It's the five, but flat. Right. <laughs> the five is dominant. It's it's always a fifth up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and that's used in metal period the end. Yeah, it doesn't matter I mean, what genre of metal you're in. That's, you're that's the whole—that's the whole basis of the first Black Sabbath song. That's even in Purple Haze, which was pre-Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Um, that song's not built around that. Whereas I'd say this section of the song is really built around that sound of that tritone and that menacing. You know, you yeah. also got the keyboard in there for some reason, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, I think Rick Wakeman was on keyboard at that time for them. He did a lot of their early Sabbath stuff. Which I think is pretty amazing. Rick Wakeman. So he was, uh, he did a lot of stuff for David Bowie in the early 70s, mm-hmm. and he was the keyboardist for Yes in the early uh, 70s as well. Nice little tie-in. Yeah. To our David Bowie episode. Yeah, go check it out. <laughs> and we're going to do a Yes episode at some point, for sure. Oh, goody. Oh, goody. yeah. That's I'm, the good stuff. I want to listen to Yes. Um, rather, I want to get paid to listen to Yes. <laughs> um... So no, yeah, yeah, and then great song, yeah, yeah, and then we also have a, a spooky outro. Yes, I talked about this at Warpigs where we Children had, of the Grave. Yeah, where they hit that. It it kind of reminds me of South of Heaven. Ooh, the end yeah. of South of Heaven, where they hit the last note and the guitar just like doesn't stop. Uh huh. And just, he'll it, kind of bend the whammy bar or whatever and kind of go up and down and and kind of have different tones going on. And then there's also the delayed cool, yeah because uh, the end of south of heaven has it to where it's it's just it turns in almost like white noise it turns into feedback yeah yeah whereas um here it just turns into spooky scary skeletons you know mm-hmm. and, and and you've got whoever it is whispering children of the grave yeah very cool effect um, and i think kind of pink Floyd almost yeah and i think it makes a great transition for our next song um does it really? I think it does. Okay. Okay. Because you were expecting another. You were expecting Black Sabbath I to come was, on. Yeah, I point. was expecting Black Sabbath to come on in this 
But to me, you've got the spooky sounds, and then it just fades to dark, and then you just hear that kick. Boom. Boom. Yes. Boom. And then the bam. Because, I mean, it's just like you you create this spooky atmosphere at the end of the song, and it's just, again, like, kind of crafting almost like a horror movie. Like, you've got this, it's like you're in a haunted house, you hear the sounds, and then you just hear, like, footsteps coming behind you. Ooh. That's what I was going for. Ooh, man. And then you just, and then you hear all of a sudden this groan from behind you that says, I am Iron Man. <laughs> and then you know you're dead! By the way, this song is Iron Man, if you haven't... Yes, that, that was that was th- a theatrical way of announcing it. <laughs> I mean, some people haven't even heard the song. Yeah, but I guarantee that everyone's heard this riff. This yes. is maybe maybe the most famous metal riff of all time. Yeah, I mean, we used to sing Ice Cream Man, not Ice Cream Man, the Van Halen song, but like, I am Ice, oh, Cream, Man. Ice Cream Man. Not that one, oh my gosh, back when we were in like elementary school, mm-hmm. you know, I am the Ice Cream Man. The thing is, though, is he never sings "I Am Iron Man," and I I hear everyone sing that that like doesn't know yeah. metal. They always go "I Am Iron Man." Yeah, when they when I first listened to the song all the way through, I was expecting it, and then I was like, "Yeah, I did too." He never says that. He just says "I Am Iron Man" at the, at the very beginning, but it's not ever sung. It just mm-hmm. goes straight into "Has He Lost His Mind?" Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk about that. That riff, that world famous riff. You you wanted me to talk about it. Well, we were going to talk. So have, there's not much to say about it. It's you've it's, seen the movie School of Rock, right? No. So, so there's I have, a, a long time ago, but I can't tell you. So you know what the movie's about. So it's kind of. it's it's a it's a rock star that pretends to be a substitute teacher, and he teaches the kids how to be rock stars. So there's the kid that is a guitar player, and he mm. takes a special interest in him, and he kind of does like a little test to see you know, if he can play riffs well. And he gives him three riffs mm-hmm. to kind of test his skill on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is Iron Man. Oh, yeah. And then he has him do Smoke on the Water, and then he does, has him do Highway to Hell. Oh, see, Iron Man's probably the hardest one. I know. Except that he... Like, I can't even play Iron Man. Well, he, <laughs> he does the note version instead of the chords. Oh, yeah. And then the other two, he has him do chord version. Kind of just like, okay, now we're going to amp it up a little bit. And he gets increasingly more, like, exaggerated as he's playing because it's Jack Black. Yeah. But I remember hearing that riff, and I didn't know what it was. I just remember thinking, oh, that's a cool song. Mm-hmm. And then I finally heard Iron Man. I was just like, oh, that's what that riff is. I had a similar moment for all three of those songs where I was just like, that's the School of Rock riff that they did. <laughs> This is, this is probably the hardest song on the list to play, guitar-wise. Interesting. Yes. I mean, because you're playing full power chords, you know, through that whole riff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get to that, da-da-da-da-da, you got to go fast on two power chords. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And then out of that speed, slide down four frets, and then da 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 Anyway, mm-hmm. it's a difficult song, and the fact that he can pull it off with rubber fingers is interesting. Rubber fingers. And kind of... It know, is impressive. Kind of impressive. Impressive. Impressive is the word that I was looking for. Yes. This song, this is when I was talking about earlier about, like, he can have one song to have, like, five of the 
best riffs you've ever heard. Yeah. I feel like in this song, like every single riff mm-hmm. is an all time. You've got that bow, no, 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 no. And then you've got the bow, no, You've got the solo section. Yes, I would say this is this is probably one of the greatest solo sections written of like all time. Yeah. Because it it goes up in modularity or up two half steps or mm-hmm. a full step and so it's kind of telling you something's coming and then they play the solo the solo is well executed i would say uh-huh for Tony and then the way it transmits yes yes that's the that's one of the best end of solo sections mm-hmm. i can't even think of a better one right now that's just that's my go-to um I'm sure there's some Megadeth song that I like the post song um, section better. <laughs> for me, ooh, the one at the end of Master of Puppets when oh the yeah, that's one of my that's one of my favorite riffs on that song, and that's a that's another one of those songs that's just ten riffs strung together that are the greatest. Uh huh. You've also got the riff at the end of ba da da which is super Luke Wall esque. Yeah, and the fact that it's I would say it's kind of triumphant, but it also kind of signals the apocalypse. In a yeah, way. it's it's the point where the Iron Man is killing everyone. Yes. Let, can we talk about the arc of the character arc of yes. the Iron Man? Because I don't really understand it. Okay, so <laughs> Ozzy was the one that came up with the idea for an, for an Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And this has nothing to do with the comic book character. They said that they had no idea that there was a comic book character called Iron Man. Because well, Iron they do Man. Now. <laughs> yeah, they do, yeah. <laughs> Um, which is hilarious that the last line of that movie is I am Iron Man and then Iron Man starts playing. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which I mean, there's just one of those things it's like you you have to. You have to. Um and so he just came to Geezer, probably I'm sure, like stoned out of his mind, said, What if there was like a giant iron bloke walking about? Giant iron bloke. Yeah. That's <laughs> the way that Geezer describes him saying it as. And so he just came up with the idea. Uh, so it's about, like, a soldier that's sent through time. Mm-hmm. Time travels. From the future? Um, from our time. I think he's from the future. Okay. Because he travels back in time, as the lyrics say. Mm-hmm. And the whole process of traveling through time turns him into metal. Mm-hmm. And either... Because he obviously at some point makes it back, because he's killing the people he once saved mm-hmm. so and it's just the whole thing about like he's driven insane by this process of turning into this giant iron monster and mm. uh everyone rejects him nobody wants him they just turn their heads nobody helps him now he'll have his revenge mm. um it's the st- i don't think the story is meant to be the main focus I mean, I figured, but... But at the same time, it's still impressive that they went through the trouble of saying, like, he went, th- he traveled back through time for the future of mankind. Mm-hmm. And, um... No, he traveled through time, so that doesn't necessarily mean he traveled back in time. Wherever when direction... He, when he, he traveled time for the future of mankind. He And that was when he was turned to steel in the great magnetic field. Yes, which is not how magnetic fields work, but that is okay... They didn't know. Was okay. Science wasn't up to that point. <laughs> See, to me, the 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 
the standout lyrics are the things that say heavy boots of lead fill his victims yes and just talking about um about his destruction Mm -hmm. giant iron bloke Mm -hmm. the giant iron bloke (laughs) uh can he walk at all or if he moves will he fall but it's not particularly like it's just a story song. It's not like an anti-war song. It's not. No, it's just it's again. I think it taps into their love of just like, I think in this case like B horror movies where you know it's like uh, those horror movies from like the forties, fifties, and sixties where it's not really scary, but it's like it's an army of giant thirty foot tall ants. Yeah. Or yes. you know, attack of the fifty foot woman. Oh, or, yeah, you know, that. just stuff like that to where it's like, yes, it's horror, but it's like cheesy horror, not like, yeah. you know, true horror. And so I that's kind of the feeling I get from this, although they do inject some legitimate moments of tension, like that opening kick drum, which I totally think is supposed to be like iron footsteps. Like, I almost imagine like you see this like pleasant town mm-hmm. and you hear you hear the footsteps coming before he comes over the horizon. Right, and that does, like, him you, you cranking see, you or see whatever. The, yeah, you see the head coming up, and then all, and, and then like his the, whole... Turning his head. And... Yeah, and then that riff begins, and that's him, like, in full view, you know, running as fast as they can. Iron I Man lives again. Siren Head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, you, so, if you understand that, please laugh. I didn't understand. <laughs> Lucas didn't understand the siren head reference. Anyway, um, you just kind of described that in my mind. Um, oh, okay. It's some Fallout thing, I think. Okay. It's a meme now. Anyway, we should transition yeah. to our next song, which I think is about drugs. Oh, it absolutely is. Okay, good. Because I, I didn't catch up uh, or catch that until today. I listened to it today. I'm like, wait, a minute. he can't. You know. Anyway, we'll talk about the lyrics when we get there. Yeah. Um, Still blind. Yes. So this is our representative from Volume Four. Okay. So it's about as far into their into the future. Yeah, as we're going to get on gonna this episode. Yeah. We are going to definitely at some point do some songs from Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and Sabotage because there are some great songs on there. Um, but this song I think is one of their just one of their strongest songs they ever wrote. Mm-hmm. Just everything just works together so well. Mm-hmm. And this is, song is the third part of what's uh, been informally called their drug trilogy. Because they Ooh. had three albums in a row, one song talking about a different drug. So Paranoid had a song called Hand of Doom, which is all about heroin. Oh, yeah. Um, then you had Sweet Leaf on Master Ooh. of Reality, which, I mean, it's pretty obvious what that's about. <laughs> Stevia. And, yeah. <laughs> And then you had Snowblind on Volume 4, which is all about cocaine. I figured it was about cocaine. Oh, yeah. Because snow. Um, oh, yeah. People never meant snow when they talk, when they wrote about snow in the 70s. I, I originally, because of the fact that it was called Snowblind, I thought he was like taking some kind of journey. It almost felt, both compositionally and lyrically, like Led Zeppelin to me. Hmm. Like It almost sounded like Led Zeppelin would have wrote this song. Yeah, I could see that. Especially it's definitely yeah. more more of a solid rhythm, uh, like uh, 
I'm blanking on I'm Bill of, Ward. Yeah, I'm th- I'm thinking of like the the verse section especially. Mm-hmm. It's very sounds, bluesy. It sounds super Robert Plant. It sounds super Jimmy Page on both Ozzy and Tony's parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works so well. I love that. But uh, it's definitely them. Yeah. I love that ascending riff. It's very different sounding for them. The on kind of the like what I would call the main riff. This, I the first time I heard this song was from this set, so I, it may may take me a second. To it's the that. it's what I would call the main riff of the song. So you've got the everyone gets to listen. Mastodonish. Yeah, it's and again the fact it's a, that it's a little bit open. Yeah, it's a really different sounding riff for them, which I think adds some diversity to this set, to where it's not just the doomy mm-hmm. uh, riffs, but it's something that's got a bit more openness to it. Exactly, it is very Mastodon, right? Which I think that they kind of glean some inspiration from this. Oh. I also heard, read that this is probably the slowest song ever written about cocaine. Really? As far as just, like, tempo. Because usually, because cocaine is an up drug. Oh, it is? It's what gets you wild and crazy and able to go all night. It's the reason why rock stars did in the 70s. It was the only way they could, they thought that they could survive their insane touring schedule and partying lifestyle. That would make sense, because all drugs about heroin are slow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. songs about heroin. Heroin is a downer drug right cocaine is an upper so you do cocaine your eyes get big and you just like go ape <laughs> go ape mm-hmm. oh man um so you know a lot of times people did cocaine before they went out to play a show because it would give them energy if they're like you know this is my fifth show in five days in a row mm. and i've been out partying till four every night Getting up, get on an airplane, I'm exhausted, here, let me do some cocaine, and I'll have enough energy to get through the night. If you're Rush, you could have done it. Yeah, it's because they watch were... the news after the, the show. And Go read that. a book! Yeah, really. Oh, man, if everyone was like Rush, <laughs> that would have been such a great uh, uh, environment. Yes, but we wouldn't get the fun documentary stories about flushing the cocaine down the toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's so... <laughs> You know, a song about cocaine being slow and plotting like right. that. It was just, it's, there. I heard it read somewhere, there's a lot of irony in that. Yeah. I mean, now that you explain that, yes. I bet. So if you're snow blind, that means there's got to be a crap ton of cocaine. Yes. Which yes. I'd heard that in their day, they used to have like table long yes. piles. Yep. Yep. And they would and that just was bear- the they had to flush. And they would just bury their heads in it. Yep. Which I it makes my head hurt it's just like, to think about that. W- wouldn't that kind of show? Like, wouldn't that kind of... Oh, yeah, there's a there's there's definitely a thing called um, uh, Coke Nose, where, like... Well, I mean, they have Coke face. Yeah, but <laughs> it was pretty typical for people to not realize that they had, like, flecks of cocaine, like, around their... I mean, that's expensive stuff. I mean, if you're going to use, use all of it. I'm just saying. You heard it here first, guys. No, no, I did not. Someone, someone hashtag that. No, I'm not, I'm not advocating. I'm using that in the quote. I'm not advocating drug addiction. 
I'm not advocating illicit, illicit substance use, okay? Um, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. We I'm all know... leave it at that. <laughs> to, in their defense, they just didn't know how bad and how addictive cocaine was. We didn't know yet, did we? No. I mean, they knew it was illegal, and they knew that it probably wasn't good for you, but because they're rock stars, they don't care. They knew it was illegal. <laughs> yeah, but they, you know, they, I'm sure, had the same opinion of it that a lot of people have about weed now, which is like, this shouldn't have been illegal, you know, yes, like anything, you can abuse it, but it's not an inherently debilitating, addictive drug. Which... I mean, you know, there's people who have valid arguments for that. Yeah, and we don't need to get into the. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say. Yeah. Either or. I'm just presenting the facts right. of what people like right. the fact that marijuana in so many places now in the country is legal, and the fact that it's used medically. Uh huh. You know, for for a objective. People don't. Good thing. Pe- people don't die when they take marijuana. People do die when they overdose on cocaine. Yeah. So. So what I'm saying is. They, I believe, had the same opinion of that as they did of marijuana. Oh, it's just something that the prudes in Washington say that we can't have. But we're rock stars, so we can do whatever we want. And Mm -hmm. then so many of them at the end of the 70s realized, oh no, cocaine is like the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. Because it's so addictive. And it just also destructive. It's not just that it's addictive. Yeah, and it destroys their brains. Yeah. Because it's just... Because their brain just goes into overdrive. Right. Every time they take it. Right. And so, and I mean, just, it also gets to the point where I've read, like, David Bowie, like, was on a diet of cocaine and milk during the mid to late 70s. And that's how he got so skinny. Wow. And so it's just, it, cocaine is a drug that should not be legal anywhere because it just ravages the human body and the human mind. You heard it there, everybody. There's Lucas's political opinion on uh, cocaine. But they didn't. They didn't know it back then. <laughs> but they didn't know. They it. didn't realize, and that's a reason why cocaine was not very popular in the 80s and 90s and afterwards. Because the people in the 70s, figured it out. people in the 70s, kind of figured it out the hard way. Yeah. That hey, you probably should stay away from this stuff. Right. Right. Which. Um, I mean, people still... People anything that all, puts you out of your normal state of mind is usually a bad idea. Musicians will always be on drugs, but I don't think it's as near as widespread as it used to be. Yes. Well, musicians in general. Not every musician is a druggie. Mm-hmm. I hope not, Lucas. I feel like the balance is shifting to where yeah. there's more off drugs than on. Yeah. Where it used to be, it was like an anomaly if you weren't on drugs. Like Rush! Right. They're kind of in the mainstream now, as far as the, the drugness. Anyway... We're talking about Snowblind. So yeah. We're, talk- we're talking about a song. Hey, you know what? That gave us a, a great and interesting conversation, though. <laughs> so, yeah, at the time, they loved cocaine because they yes. were just like, this yes, this yes. drug. So they wrote a song about it. Yep. So, is there- I-, I would say there's a lot of melody in here. I think we see Ozzy's vocal melody really show up in a great way that it hasn't in the previous songs. Mm-hmm. He, um, his, yeah. his singing really takes, continues to take steps up yeah. through the mid-70s. I, I before, would say this is, this is the point. Really kind of showing what his solo career was going to yeah, be Yeah, this like. is the point where we found out what he's going to sound like. Because he sounded like this song for the rest of his career. Uh-huh. Um, even into what he's doing today. Yeah. I mean, Under the Graveyard sounds, his voice sounds exactly like Snowblind. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I feel like at this point he's now fully confident in his voice. That too, yeah. Because he he did say that on the first couple albums he was very um, timid about his own voice. So, which is, I mean, understandably, he has a very unique voice. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever did that before. And it's why his voice sounds so different on that first record specifically. And it also carries with it the dread of. Yeah, albums. it definitely works. It works in its favor, but especially on that first album, it sounds way different than it does on all their other albums. But I think it's also, again, he's he hadn't quite figured out what his voice is and how to use it in the best possible way. By this point in Snowblind, yes, he absolutely has. Yes. I, that's the only notable thing I noticed from this song. It sounds like it's a more... Um, modern mix it sounds like they figured out how to mix black sabbath well that's because they like did the, the mix it's because the, they did the mix themselves okay yeah that's why i don't like it as much <laughs> i think there's just a little too much high i feel like the i feel like the hi-hat and snare in particular just have a touch bit too yeah much buzz and ring to it the, the guitars aren't as menacing as they were in paranoid and Masters yeah and but that's that's also because it, they were just kind of starting to move away from that in general. I mean, the, a big reason why those two ones at the end of the 70s tank was also because they weren't writing metal riffs and songs anymore, really. Yeah. So, you know, by Volume 4, they were kind of starting to move away from, like, the paranoid riffs and the master of reality riffs and kind of saying, because, again, they didn't consider themselves a metal band. They're, they're kind of just more... following their own news. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of starting to move t- more towards hard rock territory. Mm-hmm. So you can hear that here. But it's still a great song. So while we're talking about them moving away from their roots, we should talk about their roots with our final medley. Yes. Let me see if I can get this right. Okay. Okay. Wasp. Okay. Slash. Behind the Wall of Sleep. Sleep. Sheep. Sleep. Sleep. Man. Okay. Okay, Slash, basically, which is the bass solo, uh-huh. I'm sure, uh, Slash, N-I-B, which I don't know what it stands for. Ah, cool. So You're not going to tell me what it stands no, for? No, I will. Okay. Because it doesn't stand for anything. Oh. Nib was a poke fun at uh, Bill Ward's goatee, because it looked like a little nib. <laughs> but they didn't say that for a long time, and so a lot of people assumed it meant nativity in black. What? Which is actually a pretty great title. They should just adopt that. Yeah, just, Which they just did. make your song a acronym and have your fans come up with the... Uh-huh, and be like, <laughs> yep, yep, that's that's what it was. So-and-so got it right over here in Wisconsin. They yeah. did actually release a couple compilation albums called Nativity in Black. So mm-hmm. they definitely embraced the name that the fans came up with. But... Uh, yeah, it was it originally wasn't supposed to mean anything. They kind of just did that tongue-in-cheek to just go, we're going to make something acronym for nothing. It's just going to be about Bill Ward's beard. No, this is up their first album, right? Yes, it is. Okay, I'm, I'm double-checking. because So the that. reason why this is all pushed together as a medley, uh, there's this happens two different times on the album, mm-hmm. where you have these long compositions that's just like a bunch of songs strung together. It was to create an illusion on the album that there were more songs than there actually were. Like, there's no, nothing is Wasp on that song. Wasp is like an imaginary title to make it look like there's more songs. Same thing happens on the other medley on the album with A Bit of Finger. There's, 
A bit of finger is nothing. Really? I thought Wasp was like the first 20 seconds. No, because the, the that 20 seconds resurfaces again halfway through that section. The whole first section is, there's really three sections. Behind the Wall of Sleep, basically, and NIB. There's, there is no wasp. Man. But that I mean. That kind of sucks. I was trying to figure it out. I know. Like I tried whole... to figure it out for a long time. And then I, I read about how there's no bit of finger on the other medley. And I was just like, well, then that must mean there's no wasp either. Right. So. And but, behind the wall of sleep is a line in that song, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Well, no, they don't ever say behind the wall of sleep, but they call it the wall of sleep in the second verse, I think. Um, so, but yeah, but I think that this is a, a fun and interesting way to end the set. Because it's kind of like, it sounds like this song is almost road heartened. It sounds uh-huh. like they're playing it live. It, yeah, it does. I, I think Not they... just live in the studio, but like live in front of people. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have the one song and then it goes into the bass solo where all the bass fans are like, yeah, you know, and then it goes into the next song. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. I love it when bands do that. That's why I yeah. love Ride the Lightning. Uh-huh. Um, but, yes. So what what jumps <laughs> out at you about the Wall of Sleep section of the song? I think, okay, again, once again, Ozzy's voice is the fact that he's still bringing in a lot of um, kind of Elvisy yeah, sound. Which I, he, I'm sure he was deeply influenced by Elvis. Yeah. I think uh, on Ozzy and Jack's world tour, he he went to Memphis and he was just fawning over Elvis. Mm-hmm. Um, the, he said the Beatles are the reason he got interested in music, but I think he was listening to Elvis before then. Right, and and so it he's definitely got kind of a baritone, kind of almost Eddie Better kind of sound. Eddie Better, Eddie Better, whatever his name is, <laughs> the Eddie from Pearl Jam, not Eddie Van Halen, the other Eddie. Yeah, but not Iron Maiden Eddie either. Whatever. Um, it sounds kind of like baritone, yeah. slur, totally different from what we just heard in Snowblind. Yes. Um, and I definitely do like the Snowblind vocals better, but I think this suited the music mm-hmm. better. This shows when they were still a blues band, I think, specifically the Behind the Wall of Sleep right. section. Like, right. this sounds like one of their old blues songs, like back when they were Earth. Mm-hmm. That yeah. they just that yeah. they pulled out and just you know, but it still grooves really well. It, yeah, and you can tell that it's blues because he'll be singing a part and then he'll stop singing and the riff will continue. Well, not not that part, I'm but that's that's also very bluesy. Cold that is, response guitar that is, and vocal. That's true. That is bluesy, but I'm thinking more like the uh, kind of when he's I guess the chorus you could call it. Mm-hmm. Turn your body into a corpse. Yeah. Uh, and then cops, as he says cops. it. Cops. Yeah, I thought he was actually saying cops. Like, like police. Turn your body into the cops! Yeah, like you're a felon. I don't know. No, um, turn your body into a corpse. Anyway. Um, but yeah, he does say that really weird. <laughs> but he, uh, he'll finish singing that, but the riff will continue. Mm-hmm. And then Tony Iommi will do kind of licks in between. You know, where the riff was, where kind of where he would be singing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, once again, it's that call and response thing definitely blues influenced and i'm i'm very surely i wouldn't say necessarily slowly but i'm surely seeing your point on the fact that the first album was not a metal record yeah a lot of the songs on on that first album sound like this um 
you know, you've got The Wizard, which is a weird-sounding song. I remember listening to the first Black Sabbath album, not knowing what was on it, and hearing Black Sabbath first off and going, holy crap, this is a metal record! Mm -hmm. And then The Wizard comes on after, and it's like, it starts off with harmonica, and I'm like, wait a second. This is not metal, like, even a little bit. And then uh, this is what comes on after that, and I'm like, Wait a second. But then NIB comes on, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is metal. Because mm -hmm. once we get to NIB, we can go ahead and get to that section. Because right. that's the part I want to get to. Because that's actually my favorite song of the set. I mean, basically it was a bass solo. You know, it's yeah. kind of, you know. Mm -hmm. Was there a bass solo before that? Was the first bass solo on record? No. Okay. I mean, I, don't, I couldn't tell you specifically what it was, but I'm sure it was. No, because I can think of one. Okay. There was a big bass solo in my generation from The Who. Okay. But it's a bass solo that's groovy. It's got rhythm to it. It's, it doesn't it's got a cool sound to it. Yeah, and it doesn't ever, like, have those silent moments, like Eruption, where it's like he doesn't know what he's going to do next, and then he just does something. Mm -hmm. He planned it, which is great because you got to maximize time on your record, especially when it's your first record. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, like you said, we can go to NIB now. Yeah, which starts off with the bass. I didn't realize that that was bass for a while. Really? I just thought it was a really weird sounding guitar. And then I realized, oh, oh wait, that's the bass. That's definitely bass. I know, I used to be oh pretty stupid back gosh. in the day. Well, okay, yeah. You heard it here first, Me guys. too, I thought For Whom the Bell Tolls was that really high part was a guitar. So. Yeah, I did too. Until I started learning how to play it on bass. I was like, whoa, that's the bass? Yeah, cool. yeah. This... Um, NIB has my favorite Black Sabbath riff. Da, ba, da, 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 ba, yeah. Da, yeah. There's, it's so simple. Really? Ah, it's a good riff. It just, there's just something about it. I can't describe why it's my favorite. It just hits me right here. And sometimes you don't know why it hits you right here. It just does, and you gotta trust it. See, I'm that way with Children of the Grave. And yeah, that's totally fine. And I'm, that's not totally gonna, fine. I'm not gonna, yeah, argue, about not gonna argue about it. Argue. <laughs> and for some reason, NIB just like, it's that one Sabbath song that just, like, unlocks that other side of me that I just, like, kind of go crazy listening Yeah, especially to with Ozzy saying, oh, yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. That's not an Ozzy thing. I would say, I don't... Oh, yeah, it's totally an Ozzy thing. I mean, not, not later. Not later, no, not, but not there's... Career, sure. We're going to hear some more Sabbath songs in vo later volumes where he does a lot of, oh, yeah, all right now, yeah, come on. Like, he kind of was like pre-Hetfield. Yeah, yeah. Yeah! <laughs> um, but this song is just so... It's got such a great melody, and he's, of course the vocals are just copying the guitar, but... Yeah, everything's unison. <laughs> so like, I remember when we were listening to this, mm -hmm. and that moment at the end of the second or third verse when he says, My name is Lucifer, please take my hand, you went... What? I wasn't expecting because it. it sounds like a love song, and it you're just you're, kind of, you're you're wondering like why the heck is Black Sabbath writing a love song? Yeah. So uh, can you explain it? Yeah. So pretty much, it's just um, it's 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 Lucifer. I think it's about him tempting Eve in the Garden of Eden, just kind of seducing her and winning her to his side. But then once she takes his hand. He reveals who he is, and now I have you under my power. 
Oh, that's kind of clever. I don't. I can't confirm it's about that, but that's that what makes, makes a lot of sense. That's what makes sense in mine. That makes sense my in mind. my head now that, now that you mentioned. You that. are the first to have this love of mine. Follow me now until the end of time. And so he's seducing someone. It makes sense to me that it's Eve, but I don't know for sure. It could just be a random person, for all I know. <laughs> but I, that's just what is in my mind when I think of it. Um, but yeah, like you're just, you're, it sounds like a sweet love song and you're just like, really Black Sabbath? And then I think that's what makes that, and they did this on purpose. They put that, that plot twist right at the end and then they go through those verses again, the same words, but now that you know how it ends, you hear it a different way when yes, it comes through. Yes, yes. And don't they have that long instrumental section in the middle too? Uh-huh. The guitar solo So you kind of think about it? Yeah. And then it, like, processes in your mind. And then when you, right, like you said, you listen to everything else. Uh-huh. It's the exact same words. It's a mirror. And you just, you just go, okay, I, this is a lot more disturbing now. Um, anyway. And then wow. I love the vocal breakdowns where it's, it comes, where the instruments drop down. The, your love for me has just got yes. to be real. His, his voice sounds so good in those sections. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about him not being confident in his voice, maybe in his, the sound of his voice, but he's a confident singer. Mm -hmm. He's able to lay down a vocal track with almost nothing behind it. Yeah. Which, you know, only some people can do. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have much to say about this song anymore. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, we talked a long time about the, the medley part of it and... Again, I'll say that this was my favorite Sabbath song. We get to end on a really big moment with a big trash can. It's not a fade out or a weird ending. And I think that makes it good for the final song of the set. It's got like a very definitive mm -hmm. end where it's like, you can see this at the end of the show. Hit the saying, thank you, good night. Woo. Right. It's just, it, especially that last guitar solo, you get that epic feel. And I just, I think it's a good song to put towards the end. Or mm -hmm. at the end. Just to kind of sum Not everything War up. Pigs made me sad, but okay. But I think War Pigs is such a great starter. It is a good starter. Anyway, that's our set. Yeah, so we're going to take a small break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our bonus song. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We've been talking about Black Sabbath in this episode, specifically that first uh, period with Ozzy Osbourne. And we just finished talking about the six songs. So just to recap... Those songs were War Pigs, Paranoid, Children of the Grave, Iron Man, Snowblind, and a medley that includes NIB. <laughs> okay. That's well, all that's yeah. how I want to shorten that. Yeah, okay. Just um, go to the Spotify if you want to know the full thing. Or yeah. actually listen to the episode like you have been. Yeah, they <laughs> they heard us talk about it. Yeah, that's um, true. They can't really skip through mm -hmm. easily. <laughs> but now it's time to talk about the bonus song. So, okay. Grant, what's a bonus song for those so, of you that are tuning in for the first time? A bonus song is a song from an artist who we would not necessarily give their own episode, but we still want to talk about their music, particularly the song that we're going to feature. And this song somehow has some sort of relation to the main artist. Um, in this case, I didn't see it until about an hour ago. Um but this is also on the Spotify playlist, so if you want to listen to it as well as the other songs, that's easily available. So 
Um, without further ado, this week's bonus song it is, is Born Too Late by St. Vitus. St. Vitus. Mm-hmm. All right. So the reason why we picked this is for two reasons. First off, because um, they were kind of part of the eventual um, kind of disciples of Black Sabbath as far as kind of taking what their sound was, the doom metal, because that didn't... What really... era are we talking about, by the way? Hmm? What era? This is, I believe, mid-80s. I'm actually... Uh, oh, really? I'm confirming this real quick. Um, sounds like early 2000s. I don't... I'm pretty sure it isn't. Because this sounds like early doom metal. I'm just I'm making sure that this is correct. But yeah, so part of that... Yeah, 1987. That, yeah. Part of that discipleship of Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Kind of when Candlemass and all those bands were finally adopting the Black Sabbath sound instead of, you know, thrash and new wave of British heavy metal and all that. So, um, yeah, so I picked them because of that and because they took their name from a Black Sabbath song, St. Vitus's Dance. Oh, look at that. It's off of Volume 4. Look at that. There are a lot of metal bands named after Black Sabbath songs. Literally just about every single uh, Black Sabbath song has a band named after it. Wow. Some of them are pretty hilarious. Oh. Like? Um, I can't remember what some of them are, but I just remember thinking, I was just like, you really had to stretch to make that band. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, so, this, I can picture this being like type O negative. But yep. if they were, like, not into, as much into atmospheric, but m more, like, I don't want to say more depressed, because how can you get more depressed than typo negative? Yeah, that's um, true. Maybe less less focused on sonic. Yeah. Because they have a lot of different instruments going on. Uh -huh. Whereas St. Vitus, of course, has very few. Yes. So this is... Doom has kind of taken up its own identity mm -hmm. as the years have gone on. It's more about being as minimalistic as possible, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily how Black Sabbath started. No. But that's they're the forefathers of that. Compared to what Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple were doing, they definitely were minimalizing. Mm -hmm. just, no, especially Led Zeppelin. It's just, it's just not compared to what Doom Metal eventually became. Right. I think sometimes they go too far. Mm -hmm. I remember listening to uh, an album by Bell Witch mm -hmm. that came out a couple years ago that I heard a bunch of people saying this is one of the best metal albums of the decade. And I was like, well, dang, i got to go check this out. It's one song that's like an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> and, sounds like something I would do. And it's the slowest song ever. I kept waiting for it to like speed up a little bit because i mean i'm not someone that needs metal to be like thrash speed all the time yeah. i can appreciate slower but i mean like i'm talking about like boom boom ba do 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 boom for an it hour just sounds like you 15 minutes sounds like you took in the air tonight and then divided the speed by four it's more than that. You just have to, maybe, maybe I'm I just not don't, gonna listen to it the way you're describing. Maybe it. I just don't get it. Maybe. Maybe if I listen to it again in some other capacity, I'll like it. I don't get it though. But that's kind of what modern like doom metal is kind of turned into. 
but you can hear the the seeds for that here because St. Vitus was kind of among those first doom metal bands to kind of establish the genre after Black Sabbath had already long made its mark. Yeah. Um, I like this kind of doom. I think that, okay. I mean, it's not near the production quality. That's kind of really not a lot of the point of doom. I almost kind of feel like there's some Slayer in there as far as some of the tone, especially in the solos. Especially in the later section, I would say. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Slayer, I would say. Yeah, that, that second solo in particular, I was just like, this sounds like, like a slowed-down section from Raining Blood. Yeah, which is still pretty fast, so you had to really slow it down. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, but I, I like the atmosphere in this song. I, it's not on the same level as Black Sabbath, but and doom metal is not normally my forte of metal that I listen to or know a lot about. But I would listen to that whole record at some point. It okay. intrigued me enough. Okay, uh, I really liked what the lyrics were saying. I think that's probably what connected. Me yes, the, the lyrics are a full mood. Oh yeah, and it's just it's all about being a metalhead. It's all about being a metalhead in the age of everyone. Not being one. Uh-huh. Well, at, at this point, it was, you know, about hair metal, I'm sure, being what the normal people listened to at that time. And then just saying, I listened to the old stuff. Mm -hmm. Probably talking about Sabbath. Mm -hmm. What they were drawing their main inspiration from. Yeah, and it's funny that we now are saying that about bands like in the 80s and 90s. Uh-huh. You know? And just saying, like, you know, you're saying my music's too slow which it would get so much slower as the years went on. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just, I kind of like the, the screw you meta, kind of the feeling of the lyrics. Cause mm -hmm. it's just kind of like saying, you know, I don't have to like what you like, you know, it doesn't matter if you think that what I listen to is just noise. I've heard that so many times. No, oh, I've heard that. Oh my gosh. How can you listen to that? It's just noise. Screamo sucks. <sighs> I've heard that so much. Uh huh. Anyway, we could, we could have a whole episode on that. Yeah. <laughs> How Screamo is incorrectly, a term incorrectly used about 90% of the time. Yep. Um, so I, that is what initially turned me on to the song. And then the more I listened to it, the more I was just like, okay, I'm actually like getting behind this. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it for what it is. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's a worthy inclusion as a bonus song. It's got an atmosphere to it. It does. Which is the point, I would say, of doom metal. Yes. So there you go. So that's our bonus song. So let's get into our final thoughts. So with yours, I'm sure it's interesting because you already know Black Sabbath fairly well. Fairly well, but I'm not intimately acquainted with them the same way I am other metal bands. So has anything changed in the process of getting ready for this episode? Well, I learned what Sabbath albums not to listen to. So I know at least where to start. You know, I know I know that if I want to go find good Sabbath, listen to the first four. Um, I would say listen to the first six. Okay, there you go. Well, I, all these songs were off the first floor. So listen to I, seven and eight. I liked them. Unless you're curious. Well, I mean, I might I might end up being curious. You know, I'm curious like a cat. You know, you go you gotta always try Saint Anger. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, you might. Discover something that you never knew you liked. That's the whole point of this podcast. That's right. That's right. Okay. Gotta leave that out there. Okay. But, um, no, at least, like, last episode with the Eagles, I still 
feel like with them, I still kind of don't know where to start. I'm kind of getting there. I still like the songs there. I do like all the songs here with Black Sabbath, and I also know where to start. Yeah. Um, I liked all the Paranoid songs. I really like the Masters of Reality songs that I know of, mm -hmm. so I'll probably start with those. Um, overall, my appreciation of them has increased, especially seeing their diversity from the last two songs. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's everything I want to say. I think that's the most profound stuff that I've gotten out of this podcast. Okay. So. Um, I listened to a lot of Sabbath that I had never listened to before. Before doing this episode, I'd never heard Snowblind before. I heard of it, hmm. but I'd never sat down and listened to it before. So, um... Same. I hadn't really listened to anything past the first three records. Um, which obviously kind of shows in how I pick these songs is mostly from those first three. Mm -hmm. Which was why I challenged myself, I was like, oh, let's get something from something that's, I'm discovering more new. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's when I came across Snowblind. I was just like, yes, that's the one I need to do. <laughs> um, that's actually what ended up replacing the song Black Sabbath. Because originally I had NIB as the second to last, and then Black Sabbath at the end. I was just like, oh, no. No. Because I got to the end of NIB, I was just like, I kind of just want the set to end right here. I don't want to go to Black Sabbath. It doesn't feel right with the flow. And so then I was just like, let's move NIB to the end. And what do I put in this fifth spot? Snowblind. And, and then I heard Snowblind. I was just like, that's it. That's the one. So I've listened to a lot of Sabbath now that I really like that I had never heard before. A lot of stuff from Sabotage, I think, is going to make on tour volume two. Because there was some stuff on there. I was just like, holy crap, this is bold adventurous and really cool so um just really exploring the roots of metal thoroughly for the first time was really fun and also recording a black sabbath song upped my appreciation especially for geezer oh yeah oh yeah i didn't notice how many little little bass tidbits there were mm -hmm. until you were playing them and i'm like that is in the song you know um and then yeah, I mean, I already had played the song guitar many times, so I already knew Tony Iommi's compositional genius. Yeah. So, yeah, my, my appreciation for Black Sabbath has gone up. I wouldn't say as much as it's gone up with other artists, but mm -hmm. it has gone up. So, I'm... At least it didn't go down. <laughs> I, I think I will say, though, that I might have a bit of a... Um, more of a leaning towards the Dio stuff because I love Ronnie Ooh, James Dio so much. Okay. So I would say get ready for that. Stay tuned for that one. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's our episode. It so, is. Wow. We're already here. Yes. Already. This is one of our longer episodes. Are you kidding me? I had a fun time talking about it. Oh, that. yeah. It was definitely fun. It, I'm just saying. For me. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on this episode. Don't forget that we have another episode coming out next Monday, 9 a.m. Central. Um, we're going to be going into the modern age of rock and roll with Ooh, our next yes, artist. We'll have another cover song to go along with it, too. So make sure that you uh, pay attention to that. And make sure to join us on our social media pages, our Instagram page and our Facebook page. We've got giveaways going on every Sunday, so get in on that action. And uh, also make sure you hit the subscribe button and uh, leave us a review. Let us know what bands you want us to cover next. We will definitely get them on our working list. 
And uh, make sure you check out the Spotify playlist. Link in the description of the episode. And uh, Oh, yeah, and Patreon. I never talked about Patreon. Oh. Go look at us on Patreon. There go, you go. Give us some money. I'm sure it's in the description. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, I guess we'll go ahead and end it off. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music. We'll see you next time.